Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it is Thursday night, August 6th, 2020, as we are streaming this live on Mixler.com slash socks machine so for all those that are listening right now thank you for staying up with us as the milwaukee brewers and chicago white Sox series just wrapped up as the team split that series and on this episode we're going to be recapping that series against the milwaukee brewers for the chicago white Sox, as neither home team could win a game in the four game series and we'll look ahead to this upcoming critical series for the White Sox against the Cleveland Indians. It's the only home series the White Sox have against Cleveland this season. And for a team that's currently 7-6, and six, they really need to win at least one game while the schedule does line up a little bit uh, after this upcoming weekend as they have seven games against the Detroit Tigers looming. Let's recap the Milwaukee Brewers series first. And joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Before the series started, I was hoping the White Sox would at least split with the Brewers because they are a good team. After winning the first two games of the series, it feels a bit disappointing that the White Sox couldn't find a way to win at least one game at home. Yeah, it's one of those... uh unsatisfying splits where you have with the results, but when it comes down to just the sequence and especially like the, 
Well, I would say the one nothing loss, you know, they got shut out by Adrian Hauser and, you know, he pitched well. They hit some balls hard, but happened to be all on the ground except for the ones that died in the warning track. So that's the kind of game where you look at it and say, uh, just, you know, a couple, you know, uh, maybe a couple batted balls break the other way and all of a sudden it's a different score. But yeah, it's a bad aftertaste with the way they lost the uh, finale eight to three in such a. I'll call it comical. I mean, you know, maybe White Sox fans weren't laughing at Eloy Jimenez getting uh, stuck in the nets, but uh, I, I can't help but it, it's good for us people in the content minds to have an error that bad. <laughs> Shades of Diane Viciato. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, if Jimenez like broke back on the ball and then came in and the ball got behind him and yelled trace around the bases, that would have been, you know, uh, just as damaging, but uh, you know, it, it would have been double bad because we wouldn't have been able to have fun with it. But yeah, if you're gonna make an error, I think you know, make the kind of error that makes it look like you have your head stuck in a honey pot and also two honey pots on your hands. <laughs> it was, yeah, it's bad. I didn't make any comments on Twitter when watching it. I was just baffled. It's just I made a ton. <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. It's just like shrug. You know, I'm not shocked. If this is going to happen to any one of the White Sox, I'm, I'm not surprised it's Aloy Jimenez getting stuck in the net. <sighs> but anyways, I mean, Christian Yelich finally woke up. Good thing that the White Sox don't face the Brewers anymore <laughs> this year. Uh, and he was mostly quiet. He didn't even play the third game of this series. Uh, but he did wake up as far as in the last game of this series as he's the one that hit that inside the park home run that really sparked as far as the Brewers in game four. Uh, to go and win eight to three, and uh, the the final scores again. The White Sox won game one and two, uh, thanks to some late inning offensive explosions. Uh, they won game one six to four. They won game two three to two, and again game three. It was a great pitching matchup. Uh, as far as with Adrian Hauser and Dallas Keuchel, both teams pitched really well in that game. And again, as Jim mentioned, it was one to nothing win for the Brewers, and the Brewers won eight to three in game four. So after winning six games in a row for the White Sox, they have lost their last two games and they have fallen out of second place in the American League Central and your American League Central standings. It's the Minnesota Twins still in first place with a 10 and three record. They would have the number one seed in the American League if the playoffs started today. The Cleveland Indians are now eight and six as they swept the Cincinnati Reds. I don't have a good handle on that Cincinnati Reds team, Jim. They did not play well. This weekend, even though they had the lead against Shane Bieber at one point, but just uh, weren't able to close out as far as that game. And they really struggled against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, speaking of the Tigers, they are currently 5-5. Five and five, And the Kansas City Royals, they had a big win against the Chicago Cubs, but they are 4-10 and ten right now uh, in the cellar of the American League Central. So that's your AL Central standings update after the Brewers series. And again, we'll preview the White Sox. An Indian series, it is pretty critical for the White Sox as it's the only home series they have against Cleveland in 2020. But Jim, there are two topics that I think are at the forefront concerning the Chicago White Sox after this series against the Milwaukee Brewers. The first is starting pitching. Carlos Rodon put on the injured list because of it sounded like it was neck pain after he made his start in the first game of the series, and now it's turning into a shoulder injury. It doesn't sound serious. It sounds like the White Sox are optimistic that he'll come back at some point in 2020, but he won't be pitching for a while. And now, Jim, the starting pitching depth has poof disappeared for the White Sox. It's Lucas Giolito, 
Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Gio Gonzalez, and question mark? How are they going to navigate this fifth starting spot now? Well, with uh, Rodon, it was originally a shoulder, and then after the game said it was you know related to his neck, so probably both, like maybe a nerve thing or something. But you know, with Lopez and Rodon both having shoulder issues, but also both throwing, or at least uh, Lopez started throwing, they anticipate that Rodon will be able to resume throwing. So it's not like a shutdown thing like Jimmy Lambert had. You know, it seems like it's kind of an I you know an intensity based thing to where maybe you know in spring training you hear about the dead arm period that. Uh, pitchers get and maybe with you know no real spring training and such a quick ramp up that the intensity of an actual major league competition just might be uh, I guess exacerbating uh, that 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 uh, you know first wall they hit to where it becomes rather than a dead arm thing they just kind of work through it becomes an injured list uh, stint instead but here's hoping you know that. Rodon or Lopez is able to come back because yeah, just it's Ross Detweiler is right now the best option remaining. And and that's nothing against Ross Detweiler. You know, last year would have been something against Ross Detweiler, but this year he's actually been very good in relief, but you know, the white Sox have been reluctant to ask more of him. And, you know, I I think that's ultimately a good sign in that, uh, you know, in previous years, whenever the white Sox had something good, they had to basically ring every, every bit of useful baseball out of that. And then even when it was just like a husk of a player left, they still ran out the husk in their lineup and their rotation and such. So I appreciate the um, restraint that they have to try to ask more of Detweiler after he's looked so good in relief to throw him back in the rotation. But it seems like for the time being, at least they're going to need Detweiler for at least a turn through the rotation or a turn through the lineup, I should say. You know, two or three innings, maybe behind a right-handed reliever like Ian Hamilton pitched today. Uh, but you know, maybe Matt Foster could come out. He pitched today, but uh, you know, one of those two guys coming in, you know, getting the uh, maybe Foster more than Hamilton. I think I've been a little bit more impressed with him and just the swings against him. Have him come out in the first inning. Have Detweiler go two or three innings, depending on how easy those first two innings are, and then try to piece it together at the bullpen and and just hope that. Uh, you know, the, the pitching situation from the day before doesn't just, uh, uh, you know, make that more arduous than it normally is. Yeah, Matt Foster is quickly impressing early with his time with the White Sox, following the footsteps of Cody Hoyer. I mean, props to the White Sox, despite their issues with the starting pitching, either getting off to a slow start or just having some devastating injuries uh, at this moment, uh, the bullpen, especially the new guys, have been doing very well uh, as far as your debuts. And that is yeah. a great sign to see because the White Sox will need them. Yeah, well, especially since like the the old guys they brought in, Kelvin Herrera last year and then Steve Ciszek this year, just have really offered nothing. And Ciszek was... He really struggled again tonight. He'd been terrible with runners, inherited runners. He inherited, he let five inherited runner or six inherited runners score over his first five appearances. And then he came in with a clean inning, uh, or at least bases clear, uh, you know, no outs, his own inning and just made a mess of it. And, you know, he doesn't look comfortable against lefties, seems to pull a lot of pitches, uh, especially with two strikes that you know, he can't find a put away pitch against lefties. And then, you know, righties, he really isn't doing much against either. So I wonder how long his leash is going to be, at least, you know, maybe with a 28 uh, man roster, it's easy to carry him. But when it comes to like leverage and, and the kind of outings he's getting, I think you're going to see Hoyer. I think Hoyer's already lapped him because he met Foster already lap him by the time uh, uh, this weekend is over. 
Well, if you let Steve Ciszek go, which I'm, I don't, I don't know how realistic that's really, really on the table right now for the White Sox. But I could see, like we just saw the Cubs claim Kelvin Herrera. Uh, I could see the Cubs signing Steve Ciszek as they are desperately looking for options out of the bullpen, and they uh, or the Marlins or the Marlins. Hey, the Marlins have the best winning percentage in Major League Baseball, Jim. Don't yeah. knock Miami. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm just. Uh, I'm amazed by you know Eddie Alvarez. Shout out to Eddie Alvarez. Uh, you know, getting his break with that team, but you know, just the you know, it's basically sports movie stuff. The kind of uh, depths they're going to to fill out a roster. Now there are a lot of questions that White Sox fans have about looking for outside help. Who are some possible targets the White Sox? could possibly trade for before the end of this month when the trade deadline comes up. And I think it's been laid out pretty clear by two people within the White Sox organization how unlikely that route is going to be. First, Rick Hahn has told beat reporters on his Zoom calls that it is unlikely the White Sox are going to find help outside the organization on the starting pitching front. A few reasons why I think that's going to be the case, Jim. One, the coronavirus I again, we brought this up before the season even started that it was odd that there was even a trade deadline or a trade period to begin with, uh, especially with the health and safety protocols. And you don't know what type of environment guys are coming from. And that could really raise as far as the risk level for your own organization if you're bringing someone in that's coming from a hot spot. The second has to do with a lot of lost revenue for major league baseball. And I don't think Rick Hahn's going to get permission to add to payroll from Jerry Reinsdorf. Sure enough in the Chicago sun times today, Joe Cowley wrote an article that the Chicago bulls won't be firing Jim Boylan because Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want to pay for two head coaches. And then you go back to his interview with Bob Nightingale in USA today. And I think Jerry Reinsdorf's making it pretty clear, Jim, that adding payroll is going to be very difficult for either franchise, the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago White Sox, which complicates things for Rick Hahn, not just trying to get this team to make the postseason in 2020, but probably going into 2021 as well, as far as his flexible, you know, how flexible uh, the payroll is if he wants to make any additions. But I don't think this is just a White Sox problem. I think there are many GMs in baseball that are going to be in the same boat, Jim. So I'm not expecting a lot of teams to be adding outside the organization when they're running to issues and trying to find enough starting pitching to get through this season. And again, it's just not the White Sox with injuries. Mike Soroka for the Atlanta Braves is out for the rest of the season, and they were counting on him to be the ace of that staff this year. It is just one example. Uh, So when you have owners that are not going to let teams to add payroll and with the whole coronavirus situation, everyone's just going to have to look internally and hope that they have enough solutions and the guys that they call up and have them join the 28 man roster now uh, could pull through for them. But I guess that's the last question I have, Jim, concerning as far as the, the White Sox pitching. And this is a question I don't have a clear answer for. Do the White Sox have enough arms to get through a 60 game season right now? Oh, you know, maybe they do for the, you know, I think if we're at like the old postseason race formats with, uh, you know, five teams, uh, I would say probably not. But with eight teams, maybe, you know, if Giolito is good, Keuchel looks great, 
Uh, Dylan Cease is uh, one for two with his outings. So, I mean, uh, if Gio Gonzalez can be useful, and I think he was useful tonight, it wasn't his fault what Jimenez did in left field, um, you know, making a hash out of things, and then, you know, Abreu dropping the ball too. Gonzalez pitched better than his line indicated. You know, if they only need one rotation spot, uh, you know, patched somehow, I think they might be in better shape than a lot of teams, especially, like, say, if you have some disappointing teams, um, you know, like right now with the, you know, kind of the way the standings are are lopsided right now with haves and have nots that you could see some teams uh you know packing it in and and the white Sox benefiting from that even if they don't have a really solid fifth spot but yeah it, it's it, yeah i agree with you in that it's gonna be tough and i also think you know the white Sox don't have a whole lot to trade um you know they have uh you know top prospects and then it thins out and then you know, nobody really, you know, they have a lot of expendable guys, but nobody's going to net a starter who's really a difference maker unless they want to, like, trade Blake Rutherford for Avon Nova or something, or at least Basabe, or it would have been Luis Basabe. You know, somebody who's, like, out of options and needs a chance for a lot of playing time for somebody like Avon Nova, you know, who is just uh, a veteran patch somewhere else. And I don't think that really inspires people. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And I think it's going to be tough for a lot of teams. And I think, you know, my, my old adage when writing about the White Sox and following them is that, uh, uh, you know, their problems aren't unique. You know, maybe a cluster of them are unique or maybe they're worse than others, but every team, you know, a lot of other teams going to have uh, the problem that the White Sox have when it comes to filling out a rotation. And it's going to be a war of attrition, I think, for a lot of teams, especially, say, if it comes down to the the middle class of the American League, just because, um, you know, when it comes to the... Uh, you know, the way the American League is laid out with, with really good teams up top and, and you know, some bottom feeders, you know, they those um, spots in the middle could go either way. I mean, uh, all it takes is a good you know, week against some bottom feeders in order to uh, to shoot up the standings. And and so I think uh, when it comes to just the fortune of the season, uh, you know, a lot of the worrying might be, I shouldn't say overblown, but you know, it could be hidden by just the way the schedule breaks and how other teams break. And on that point with a lot of teams in baseball, especially the American league struggling right now with their pitching. I think the difference between a team making the postseason and missing the postseason is going to be how effective their offense is. And that's the second point or second takeaway I have from this series against Milwaukee Brewers and the white Sox late in games pulled through to win those games in Milwaukee. You know, Jose Abreu had the big-time home run, 3-0 green light to tie the game. Uh, Yohan Makata hit a home run in Milwaukee. Abreu again came through um, in Game 2 after Aloy Jimenez tied the game with his own two-run homer. Abreu had the game-winning hit. And then nothing in Game 3. And if it wasn't for Lurie Garcia in Game 4, it would have been much the same as Game 3 as strikeouts really piled up for the White Sox offense. Luis Robert had his first four-strikeout game of his major league career. And before Thursday's game against Milwaukee, because the numbers haven't been updated as we are streaming and recording this episode, the Chicago White Sox offense, using weighted runs created plus, ranked third in Major League Baseball behind the New York Yankees and the Houston Astros. That's terrific. They lead the league in batting average. They're fourth in on-base percentage, and they're fourth in slugging. You add all that up, and one would think the White Sox have one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball, Jim. However, runners in scoring position tells a different story. As a team, 
The White Sox are hitting 237 with a 304 on base percentage, and they're slugging 418. That's 21st in batting average. That's 26th in on base percentage, and that's 13th in slugging. And as a team, they are 1 for 11 with the bases loaded. I know this is a small sample size. They've only played 13 games, but the White Sox, without runners on base, are the best in baseball. They're hitting 298 with a 353 on base percentage and slugging 468. The White Sox are creating a lot of opportunities to score runs early in this season in the ultimate short, small sample size season of 2020 with just 60 games, Jim. But I have a feeling when runners are in scoring position and the White Sox are looking for that critical hit, they're currently they're they're ending up being empty on these opportunities. Are the White Sox hitters pressing with runners on, Jim? Maybe not pressing so much as they they're a team that can be pitched to, and I think there there are you know uh, numbers that show that pitchers get a little bit fine when uh, runners are in scoring position when they're when their backs are up against the wall they they make better pitches they work on the corners more and I think the White Sox you know generally speaking their plate discipline uh, is still below average as a team they have some improvement in that category but especially like Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, uh, Eloy Jimenez is getting a little bit more patient, Jose Abreu, not so much. But they, they have guys who will stretch the strike zone, try to be bad ball hitters, and we you know, we see it sometimes early in counts, you know, the tap backs to the mound, uh, just the, the, the pop-ups, you know, trying to lift the ball the opposite way and pop it up in foul territory. It's uh, it just, I think that's more reflective of what they need to improve and, and how they need to think. And also maybe, you know, it comes down to talent acquisition too, but it's, I think it's going to be a bit of a maturation process, especially with the younger players to, you know, play within themselves more, probably, you know, a, a job for Frank Manichino to, uh, you know, hammer that into their heads because, uh, you know, he's new on the job. So it's, it's, uh, it's a new task for him. Uh, but I, I think it's something that can be overcome or at least it can be overcome for bursts and then it'll bite them at bursts. Yeah. They're not, a disciplined offense, so I think they're going to run hot and cold in some weeks. They're going to be on fire. Other weeks, it's going to look like uh, you know the Indian series or um, you know what we saw with the the Milwaukee uh, series at times. But the good news is they you know uh, with the series is you know if if some of those fly balls to right field go five feet further or farther, uh, mm-hmm. it's a different series. So you know they have that instant offense. And uh, that's going to be one way that they can make up for the lack of plate disciplines by hitting more homers. <laughs> they, we saw what happens last year when they don't hit homers and they don't draw walks. At least they should have some solo shots and, and instant offense more on their side. Yeah, it's very boomer bust right right now for the White Sox offense. Like this is an offense that could score 10 runs in any game. This is also a White Sox offense that can get shut out and strike out 13 or 14 times. <laughs> Uh, it's, I don't think the White Sox offense is close to the level as the Yankees or the twins. Would that be a fair statement, Jim? Yeah. Especially when it comes to discipline and quality of at bats one through nine. Yeah. That's, I just been hearing a lot in the last few days that the White Sox have the best offense and I, and I kind of chuckle cause no, they don't. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a much better offense and it is improving. Uh, and I think it has the opportunity to be good. I'm just right now. I'm a bit conflicted to say 
yeah, the White Sox have a good offense. They have a good offense when nobody's on base. <laughs> but as yeah. soon as some people are on base, then they struggle. Yeah, when I saw some of that hyperbole, you know, I took it as a sign where, hey, you know, it's it's progress that you can frame the White Sox offense to be the best in certain angles, which you cannot do last year. <laughs> Very true. That is a good point. Hashtag stay positive. Hashtag progress. Uh, but it does feel good. Hopefully the, the White Sox offense does pick up because if they are going to make the postseason in 2020, especially with the situation starting pitching, it's going to be the White Sox offense that will need to carry the team. And they're going to be tested again this weekend as the Cleveland Indians are coming into town. And again, this is a critical series for the White Sox. If home field advantage has any type of advantage or big advantage in the 2020 season without fans in attendance, the White Sox really need this series because this is the only time they're going to be playing on the south side against Cleveland in 2020. The Indians, again, lead the season series. They won two out of three games in Cleveland uh, last week as far as the games four through six of the 2020 season. And your pitching probables for this series, uh, two pitchers the White Sox have already faced and uh, one pitcher I'm sure no team wants to face right now. Uh, Friday night at 7.10 p.m. Central Time it is Aaron Savali for the Cleveland Indians. He pitched very well against the White Sox in his last start. We'll be facing Dylan Cease who did not pitch well against Cleveland in his first start of the 2020 season. Saturday it is a 1.10 p.m. Central Time start. It is Zach Plesak who was outstanding in his start against the White Sox uh, against to be determined. This is the open spot in the starting rotation right now for the White Sox on Sunday is going to be a fantastic pitching matchup and should have a lot of eyes across the country watching this game. It is Shane Bieber of the Cleveland Indians against Lucas Giolito, in which Giolito has really stepped up his game in his last two starts, Jim, against Cleveland and against Milwaukee. And again, I think if the White Sox are going to come out of this series, winning this series, the offense really needs to pick up the slack and really step up their game. Do you think the White Sox offense can fare better getting to face Aaron Savali and Zach Plesek a second time this season? I should hope so. And I think that's going to be the kind of thing that shows like how quickly the White Sox can learn and adapt against the you know better teams in the American League. Uh, you know, before the season, when there were only five uh, playoff teams, I'd look at the series and saying like, oh, this is critical for, you know, locking in uh, a wild card spotter or knocking off at least, you know, the Indians to, to sneak ahead of them. But now with the eight teams available, it's not really a must win. It's just more of a, me- uh, a measuring stick, I would say, for just how quickly this team can uh, mature or at least, you know, uh, learn from mistakes that are still pretty fresh. And, you know, Savali set a career high in strikeouts against the White Sox. Plesak set a career high in strikeouts for the White Sox. So, you know, they have a lot of room for improvement. And, you know, coming off a, a couple of frustrating games against Milwaukee, you would think that uh, it would be an opportunity for them to refocus and figure out just, you know, where they're getting beat and how they're getting beat because kind of similar, just, you know, pitches down, beating them in the ground uh, or, you know, just swinging over, you know, chasing sliders especially seem to be a prevalent issue. So there's room there. And I think, you know, same thing with Dylan Cease kind of on the pitching side is that, uh, you know, he had really – you know, some difficulties facing 
the uh, the Indians from the left side, uh, you know, getting pitches past them. The changeup wasn't good, so you know, kind of a, a learning uh, or a chance to show what he's learned as well. Uh, you know, having such a rough outing, not showing his best, and and you know, usually when a pitcher has to face a team twice in a row, it's usually you know at least it's said that it's the advantage of the offense. But in this case, you know, given how how rough Cease looked and how he really didn't show him his arsenal in terms of fastball command, breaking ball, changeup, nothing was really working for him that well. If he can get one of those elements going for him, uh, it should be a different look enough to where the Indians can't really use what they had last time to to uh, size him up or square him up. And I was going to ask you about Dylan Cease because he did pitch better in Kansas City. And if the White Sox have any hope of winning this series, not only does the offense really need to pick up and find a way to score runs against this outstanding Cleveland Indians starting pitching staff, but I think Dylan Cease needs to have at least his best start of the young 2020 season. What should fans focus on while watching Cease to know if he is truly bringing his A game on Friday? Well, usually it's, you know, he's been pitching pretty straightforward. So fastball command, uh, especially early on. I think so what we've seen from him in his young career, uh, whether it's first couple starts of the season or even back to last season is just uh, how it takes him a while to find a, a groove if he finds one at all. And if he's going to get roughed up, it tends to come early. So usually by the first couple innings, uh, where he's putting his fastball, what kind of counts he's getting into, uh, whether he can use his curveball to be a chase pitch or whether he needs it to, to grab strikes and they lay it off, any, lay off anything spinning when it's uh, uh, you know, like a 2-0 count. You know, that's probably the case where you look at Cease and say, like, yeah, this this looks like a guy who can compete today. Whereas, you know, if he's in the first inning falling behind most hitters and having to scramble out, that's where I don't feel as confident. So uh, on one hand, it's frustrating to see him uh, dig an early hole. On the other hand, it's kind of nice to watch a pitcher and know how early on whether you should get your hopes up or not. And then finally... The Sunday matchup again, it is Shane Bieber against Lucas Giolito. And again, Giolito has been pitching very well. I thought he pitched well again in Milwaukee. That was a tough test and he was able to go toe-to-toe with Brandon Woodruff, the Milwaukee Brewers ace. But Shane Bieber, man, he's been the best starting pitcher in the American League to start 2020. He's already got 35 strikeouts. Uh, so, Jim, should we just go ahead and uh, book Bieber for 10-plus strikeouts on Sunday? <laughs> it kind of seems like you're watching some of the swings uh, in, the, in the Milwaukee finale. Uh, yeah, I don't have high hopes for that. I hope it's another low-scoring game where, you know, Giolito just has to go toe-to-toe or, you know, at least, you know, well enough to give the offense a shot in late innings and hope that the strikeouts rack up Bieber's pitch count. Yeah, Giolito's been fun to watch, especially, you know, watching him his last two starts compared to his debut. It was for his first uh, start of the season where the fastball command wasn't there and also the changeup just wasn't competitive either. And it seems like, you know, he can just kind of do a yo-yo thing where he just uh, pushes with the fastball, gets him, you know, gets the bats going faster and then just, uh, you know, throws changeups and he just... Whichever pitch he wants to use first, he can, and whichever one he wants to throw, however many pitches in a row, like tripling up on changeups and one at bats, you know, he, he'll be willing to do that. So that should give him a pretty good chance against, you know, the uh, the kind of switch hitting lineup that the Indians have. Sometimes I think he just tends to get a little bit too complacent or, or maybe just uh, too cavalier with only having two pitches and occasionally has to... Uh, flip out of that mode and, and throw some sliders. So I hope that, you know, if it's going to be a well-pitched game and where every pitch counts, or at least, you know, every, 
you, you can't uh, you can't get uh, thrown off for you know more than like two batters in a row. I hope that his breaking ball is a little bit more more ready to go this time around. Just because I don't think you can just uh, you know have three or four batters in a row. That might be his undoing when you're when you're facing a guy like Bieber. Yeah, and again, Bieber has only in his three starts has only received eight runs of support from the Cleveland offense. Two runs. Two runs, four runs. That's it. I was going to say a two-run run. Uh, but Bieber's only allowed two runs in his three starts. He's got a 0.83 ERA. And those two earned runs were two solo home runs he gave up to the Cincinnati Reds in his last start on August 4th. And, uh, yeah, he's just been awesome. 35 strikeouts to just three walks and only 12 hits allowed in 21 and two-thirds innings to start the 2020 season. That is going to be – if you are listening to this and you truly believe that the White Sox offense is one of the best in Major League Baseball – they really need to prove it this weekend if they are going to win this series. I think looking at all the angles for this series, Jim, I think that is the, that's going to be the difference for the White Sox. If the White Sox hitters can find a way to score runs against Savali, Plesak, and Bieber, then I, I could see them winning two out of three. If the offense performs like they did in the last two games against the Milwaukee Brewers... I could see the White Sox getting swept and you go from a six game winning streak to a five game losing streak. Well, the, the good news I'm looking at Bieber starts against the White Sox last year and only one of them, you can say he overpowered the White Sox uh, seven innings two run ball, nine strikeouts. And that was the high was nine strikeouts. Other three outings, he gave up four homers in one of them, uh, gave up 10 hits in another, and then took, uh, so he, he won, uh, took one decision, lost two of them in four starts. So they haven't been phased by him before. I know he's a different animal this year, but he was pretty good last year too, and they did take some good swings off him. So if you're looking for any reason for optimism and, and uh, uh, you know, giving him more of a chance than we've given him, you know, uh, so far in this discussion, that would be the one thing I'd point to is that so far to date, they haven't really looked too overwhelmed by him. After the Cleveland series, the next 10 games, seven of them are against the Tigers. And then the three game series against the St. Louis Cardinals is the field of dreams game again has been canceled out in Iowa. So now that is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday series at guaranteed rate field. So, if again, if the White Sox can find a way to win at least one game against Cleveland and come out of this weekend being at 500, they have a chance to pad up as far as that uh, win differential in the standings with seven games coming up against Detroit that they can eat a little bit uh, before they have the Cubs who have been red hot. And then after the Cubs series, they have a couple games against the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals, in which the White Sox have already proven that they can sweep the Royals. So things will get easier after this weekend a little bit for the White Sox, and hopefully they could take advantage of that softer schedule in the upcoming weeks. But it, it would be great to see the offense really step up in this series and prove that they are one of the best in Major League Baseball 
to at least get one win out of this series if not try to win this series against Cleveland. It will be a tough test for the White Sox, and we will be recapping that series on Monday's Sox Machine podcast, but that will do it for this episode of Sox Machine Live. Thank you to everyone that listened to the live stream on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine, and if you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live streams, no worries. Every episode is uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe to the Sox Machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of the Sox Machine Live is brought is presented by SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries. For nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.